0: It is the first of the month today, and in addition to hockey coming back, it is a a reality check, a gut check day for a lot of people, because rent is due, and in some cases, so are mortgage payments. Here to talk about uh, how to sort it all out and get through it all, particularly if you're in the unfortunate situation of not being able to pay your rent for obvious reasons, what do you do? Alex Chang is back with us. Mr. Chang is a lawyer with L'Esperance Mendez here in Vancouver, Alex Special in real estate matters. Good to have you back with us, Alex. Good morning morning so let's talk about this now the first time that you uh, joined us on this program was to talk about well what we're about to talk again this morning but that was several months ago alex when people were just starting to come to terms with the pandemic and the uh, interrupted cash flows uh, and you know government checks beginning to arrive or not now we're several months along how are things going just in terms of the overall big picture
1: yeah, so um, things are ba- things are you know essentially essentially have gone according to uh, the, at least the government's plan, in the sense that uh, what they promised were some you know some rental assistance that's set to go through until August. Uh, they've recently announced that as of uh, September, uh, landlords are going to have the ability to evict tenants for unpaid rent unpaid rent that's due from September moving forward okay, that right. doesn't apl- that doesn't apply to any arrears from p- during the covid emergency period okay so essentially you know you're going to be landlords are going to be able to evict for non payment of rent that wasn't paid prior to the emergency period. So that being, um, you know, mid March prior to mid March. So if you owed rent at the beginning of March, then that, you know, then that should be paid. And if it's and if you owe rent, after, you know, coming due on September first, then that can also lead to a, note, a notice of eviction. Right. With respect to all that rent in in between. That's going to be subject to uh, either a prior agreement with the landlord and the tenant that uh, that should have been established uh, between na- uh, the beginning of the COVID period and mid July, or it's going to be subject to uh, the standard rental repayment plan that the government is in- is announcing, which would start, uh, which would require the tenant to pay back whatever deferred rent um was given from whenever they were out of the emergency the state of emergency till July of next year.
0: Right. So Alex when you were with us again months ago for your first appearance uh your advice at the time was in every possible situation, you should sit down, whether you're the landlord or the tenant in the equation, you should uh, sit down with your opposite and work something out. You need to communicate with each other as to how this is all going to be resolved. If, for example, you've lost your job or your business has, has imploded and there's no money, literally no money, then of course you can't pay your rent, but you can't just ignore the rent. Your advice was sit down and and try and hammer out some kind of deal. Communicate so at least there's, there's something going on. There's interaction between the two parties. Now, that advice was months ago. How, to the best of your knowledge and experience, how many people have followed that advice, Alex, versus people who are still kind of in the dark about all of this?
1: Uh, well, I mean, uh, you know, I I haven't done a survey of the province or anything like that, right? But, right. Uh, and being you know being primarily a litigation lawyer, the worst case scenarios tend to come to my attention, right? And right. I try, and I and I try not to treat that as reflective of what's going on generally. I have, heard, you know, I you know, there are of course cases, you know, uh, you know, I've heard there are cases that I've dealt with where tenants aren't paying any, you know, aren't paying rent at all. They right. weren't even paying before uh, the emergency order was was declared, and they've continued to not to not pay throughout.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and you know, so there's some, you know, t- t- and they've indicated they're not even going to try. There's also case, you know, I've also seen cases where the landlord has been unreasonable. I was involved in a case where the landlord tried to evict for non-payment or rent during the COVID period. Basically, tried to throw the, throw some poor woman out, uh, and uh, and they and that landlord was made to uh, to, to pay a judgment to that tenant uh, for doing for doing that, right? Do, for, for performing an illegal eviction. Hmm. All right. So there, you know, there can you know both uh, you know both sides can be unreasonable, but my, the general sense that I'm getting is that you know if, if both sides were being unreasonable like that, then I I would sort of expect that the that my phone would be ringing off the hook sure, or that the phones of other lawyers that practice in this area would be ringing off the hook. And, you know, I can say that, uh, you know, even, you know, large, large landlords that I deal with, you know, they've engaged in programs for deferral for rent forgiveness. They don't really want to be seen at, you know, no, almost nobody really wants to be seen to be throwing anybody out sure, on the streets, you know, during, uh, during COVID, they w- and they want to make sure that people are that you know people are safe. You know, they and they want to balance that with protecting their financial interests. And I think likewise, most tenants, you know, under you know understand that they have an agreement with their landlords, and they don't want to fall. You know, they don't like the idea of owing too much money to the landlord and rent, and they want to keep you know they want to keep their homes. So despite so there, so- So there's yeah. So I think that the incentives are there for both sides to act reasonable. There's always extreme cases amongst us. But my general sense is that most people are are
0: trying to be reasonable. Yeah. So I was just going to say, despite the fact that you haven't exhaustively surveyed the province, as you pointed (laughs) out, uh, nonetheless, it, it appears that most people are trying to be reasonable about this. It is the first of the month and a very timely visit from Alex Chang, a real estate lawyer with Lesperance Mendez in Vancouver. Alex, back with us today. And Alex, a couple of things you mentioned in our opening segment that I want to follow up on. One, you talked about uh, the deferral of mortgages. If I'm a landlord and I own a rental property, I know that individual homeowners have been able to defer mortgage payments uh, during the COVID uh, pandemic because of arrangements. Arrangements made by their banks, you can defer your the the payments don't go away; they just get added on to the end of the term of your home. If you're a landlord and you own a rental property, are you also able to defer mortgage payments on those properties?
1: Um, I mean, if you can reach an agreement with uh, with your with your lender, then you then you can. But this is this is all sort of subject to the to the agreement that you have with your lender. So. Um it's you know, it's possible it's possible on a case by case basis. But, but. It's,
0: it's not as blanket a deal as it would be for homeowners, for example. Uh, Correct. Okay. The other part about landlords that you mentioned uh, in our opening remarks were, uh, and you you referred to landlords and some of the programs, and a lot of these programs, and I noticed you mentioned that the feds have extended uh, their uh, rent assistance program until the end of the month. Those, uh, if you're a small business and a tenant in a building, and if you're in Vancouver, you're paying a lot of rent, uh, you can't apply for federal rent assistance. Your landlord has to apply. Uh, are most landlords on side with applying on behalf of their tenants in these circumstances, Alex? Sorry, you're
1: talking about commercial tenants. That's right. Case. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, m- my experience has been that you know the application for the the commercial rent assistance has been pretty un- uneven. Um, so. Uh, which you know, which is unfortunate. I think that uh, you know, land, landlords that uh, that recognize that um, you know, perhaps the commercial rental market you know is not as robust right now as sure. it, as, as it otherwise would be. Um, you know, might have more of an incentive to to be re, you know be reasonable and, apl- and apply for the assistance program. But uh, you know, that's you know, I think it r- really it. it my sense is, is that it's not being uh, applied for evenly across the board.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to jump ahead a month to uh, the uh, point in September where, as you mentioned moments ago, uh, the ability of landlords to evict Tenants going forward from September 1st returns because of course there's been a ban on evictions for the past several months is there going to be essentially Alex a parade to the rentalsman's office on September 1st people lining up for applications to go ahead and begin evictions do you sense that there's a kind of a pent up let's get this over with feeling out there um I
1: well, I mean, if it, if they're seeking to evict over, you know, the deferred or arrears that's accumulated during from, you know, since mid-March, mm-hmm. um, then might, you know, then no, there isn't going to be a parade because um, they're not, you know, landlords are not going to be able to evict their tenants for the arrears accumulated j- during state of emergency. Gotcha. Right, those are going to, you know, the only um, there's going to be, you know, the province announced that, you know, they that landlords are going to be able to enforce a standard repayment plan that that would uh, be enforceable once the state of emergency is lifted. Okay, and it would have, and then that those arrears would have to be paid in installments, and then if you missed it, that you know, at the same time as the rent becomes due, but that only start that can only be enforced once the state of emergency ends. And so in that, so really there's only going to be um, additional evictions if tenants don't, aren't able to pay uh, their rent, their, their full rent on September 1st and, or they can't reach some kind of accommodation with, with their, with their landlord, um, how many? You know, I'm not an economist. I don't mm-hmm. know how many people aren't going to be able to pay their rent in full on September 1st. Certainly, there are a number of uh, tenant groups that have suggested that they, you know, that they that they can't that they can't afford it. Right. And I imagine that there are many people that that can't afford it. My suggestion um, to any tenant that is you know is concerned that they might not be able to pay the rent on September 1st would be to reach you know. To reach out to the landlord now, and try and reach some kind of accommodation. Uh, you know, and some landlords may have some incentive to uh, listen to them about that. Given you know that there you know there have been some reports that rents in Vancouver are, are are dropping somewhat. I've seen that, yeah. And and so evicting you know evicting a tenant you know may you know so there might be some incentive on the landlord if you're otherwise a good tenant. To, uh, to keep you around sure and 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 you can maintain that relationship by not uh, causing a very, you know an unhappy surprise on September first, so uh, that the landlord is expecting full payment in it, and then he don 't receive it
0: right, so the repayment formula that you 've identified now a couple of times this will be imposed by the province so that there won't be a massive attempt at evictions there will first of all presumably then be a fairly huge attempt at installing a repayment plan as outlined by the government they will suggest a formula and most people will try to follow it that's is that what you're expecting alex yeah, well, that's, that's
1: exactly what they've announced so that, you know, they've passed a regulation, uh, and, uh, essentially, you know, it's meant to give some flexibility. If you had an agreement as of, uh, mid July, then you can rely on that agreement. If you don't have a, you know, a, a repayment plan agreement with your, uh, between, uh, uh, the landlord and the tenant, then the landlord, um, you know, can enforce a standard repayment plan that right. the province has announced, and the and the way it essentially works is that uh, you know the repayment plan needs to be served more than thirty days before the first payment under the repayment plan, and the and it has and then the whatever arrears are due, say say the tenant hasn't paid two thousand dollars in rent over the course of uh, uh, you know the pandemic. And then they need to pay that amount on top of their normal rent payment in equal, in, in equal installments at the same time their rent is due. So,
0: And that's that's what the, the repayment formula is going to look like. So uh, the advice yeah. remains the same this morning as it was many months ago this morning, Alex. Wherever possible, reach out. Establish communications. Start talking. Don't let this thing just drop off the end of a cliff, right?
1: Yes. Correct. I think that uh, you know, neither side is very well served and not communicating with each other.
0: Interesting stuff. Otherwise, they're going to be in your office and you're not cheap. <laughs> Alex, great to have you back on the show. We do appreciate you getting up early to join us on a Saturday, especially on a long weekend. Enjoy the rest of your BC Day weekend. And thanks again. We'll, we'll definitely talk again, probably very soon after September 1st, I would expect. Thanks for sure cheers nice chatting with you sterling you bet alex chang from Lesperos mendes a real estate lawyer for your saturday morning With doubts still surrounding the reopening of youth sports this fall, the government of B.C. has offered $1.5 million to help community clubs stay afloat. The province has more than 4,100 local sports organizations, and uh, the pandemic has led to many of them facing financial challenges. A lot of them have fixed costs like rent and staffing to deal with, so the money will no doubt help. Here to talk about it is the CEO, of via sport Charlene krepakevicz is back with us Charlene nice to have you back on the program good morning
2: good morning thanks to thanks for the invitation appreciate the opportunity to always talk about amateur sport in British Columbia.
0: Well, let's talk about Via Sport for a second. I'm on the website right now, ViaSport.ca. And, and of course, the big concern for a lot of organizations has been how to get back on the playing field or the pitch or wherever you do your sporty thing. And right there, front and center on the website is return to sport and know your game plan. So Charlene, talk to us for a second <laughs> about how this, how this is working for you. Uh, now that WorkSafe and all of the BC government that all the input has been achieved, now there is a game plan. Are many local sports organizations jumping on this and, and formulating their own ga- game plans based on your guidelines?
2: yeah absolutely uh sterling and and maybe just for the benefit of your of your listeners i'll just take one minute to explain who VIA sport is sure uh so VIA sport um is a non for profit society and uh we our goal is really to grow amateur sport in the province and and we do that by um, working with uh, provincial sport organizations and local sport organizations and stewarding government's investment in amateur sports. Right. So, um, yeah, so we're sort of that uh, overarching umbrella organization. And, and we were asked by the Ministry of Tourism, Arts and Culture to develop some return to sport guidelines. And we did that uh, and published our first version um, in early June and 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 the uh the guidelines are really sort of the framework for all sport organizations to take a look at so that they can start to plan uh the return to their own sport in communities around the province right. so uh i think we have about just over 40 um sport organizations have published their their own sport specific guidelines on our website and so all your listeners can take a look uh at those and and so uh and understand that Um, every sport in every community is going to look a little bit different because the way amateur sport is organized is that we have 4,100 clubs around the province um, who are, for the most part, um, volunteer-based. And, um, you know, and and every organization will have different capacity and ability to uh, introduce the sport in their community. Mm -hmm. So. Um, but but slowly, um, you know, we are starting to see sports come back in our community, but it, it is going to be different than, you know, what we saw before the pandemic, of course.
0: No question about it. So now there's a million five on the table courtesy of the province. Mm-hmm. And you do mm-hmm. if, you, if you do the raw math, Charlene, and you divide mm-hmm. a million five by forty one hundred, uh, that would have each group, mm-hmm. each sporting group in the province getting three hundred and sixty five dollars and eighty five cents. And I don't think that's the way it's going to work out. So how, how does the money get appropriated uh, to various organizations in, in obviously varying amounts?
2: Yes, exactly. And and um yeah, and so first of all, uh this one point five million came from the province of British Columbia and right. of course um, you know, we're grateful to get it and um and really the intention is to provide short term financial relief to support the sustainability of local sport organizations. And so we're working with the ministry to sort of sort out the criteria right now. But the intention is really to um, to uh, inject liquidity uh, in, in in those um, communities where that's where it's most needed, uh, and particularly to uh, ensure that um, those that are underrepresented in sports don't lose access to sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there'll be a lot of different things that we'll look at, um, but really we're just trying to. Um, ensure that we don't lose local sport organizations and uh, ensure that when sport does come back that these organizations are ready and, and, you know, financially able to uh, start up again. Are you
0: optimistic, Charlene? Uh, you know, we're still debating about going back to school, for crying out loud, let, let alone getting back to playing soccer or hockey in the fall or whatever. Uh, are you optimistic, though, that despite the fact that, as you've already said, things will not be as they once were, but they, they will be, are you comfortable that we're going to have a fairly active, sporty scene this fall?
2: Um, yeah. I, I, yes, I am. I am confident that we will have some sport return uh, this fall, but it won't be uh, necessarily what we saw, you know, seven months ago, um, because, you know, we, we still are in the in the midst of a pandemic. Sure. And so we uh, have, you know, we have to be mindful of uh, having physical distancing. We have to be mindful of, um, uh, of you know, travel and, and uh, hygiene and all these things. And so when you think about sport and how how much contact there is, mm-hmm. travel, et cetera. I mean, we do. We, you know, we we're taking this seriously, and you know, it will be sort of a slow and gradual reintroduction uh, of sport over many months. And so, um, you know, in some communities, it. You know, right now, we're focused on uh, individual skill development. Um, you know, drills. Yes. Uh, it, you know, and that kind of thing right now. But as as um, Dr. Henry has. You know, starting to see, um, you know, everyone move into phase three. We're looking at what does that mean for sport and how do we slowly, um, look at, um, you know, more activities, you know, more competition, potentially more travel over the next number of months. And so, uh, we are looking at a, sort of a version two of our return to sport guidelines, and we're consulting with um, health officials now uh, to see how we could do that. I you know, what makes the most sense and what kind of guidelines can we offer that now that we can slowly start to add more activities.
0: And that's what I suppose where I was going with, with the question, because you're right, as, as uh, sports exist right now with the return to uh, play guidelines and, and plans now filed by all these leagues and organizations, still they're limited in the activities that they can conduct. As, as you're saying, there's a lot of practicing going on, a lot of rehearsing, a lot of drills, but not a lot of competition. Mm-hmm. So that would be the next phase uh, of returning to a a more full sports profile, right? Competition.
2: Yes. Yeah, exactly. And even that might change a little bit, right? We might not see the the full, you know, scope of that Mm -hmm. because, you know, we can't have, I mean, there's still things like physical distancing, distancing, there'll still be, you know, group size limitations, uh, you know, and all those things we have to think about. And so, um, you know, I imagine that, you know, we'll be able to see some progress there, but again, it won't be like it was seven months ago. I think we just have to kind of recognize that these are very, um, different times and, uh, sport has to adjust, uh, you know, like other industries are doing and, um, you know, that's what we're working on now is what is that next phase going to look like and so, Uh, I know that, you know, you know, parents and and kids and athletes are eager to get, you know, back to the pitch, uh, back on the field and and see more competition. And and we are, too. But at the same time, you know, uh, we all have a responsibility to, to do this safely. Um, and and so that's really, you know, what we're working on now. What is that going to look like? Well, you got a great
0: website, Charlene. I recommend it highly to our listeners and anybody who's any kind of sports action at all. And and particularly if you're still not quite as organized as you need to be to move to the next phase, all the guidelines, all the way to get it done properly are available to you at ViaSport, V-I-A, ViaSport.ca. VIA ViaSport's CEO is Charlene Krepikevich, and it's it's... It's been a pleasure having you back on the program. Thanks for taking time out of BC day long weekend, Charlene,
2: and enjoy the rest (laughs) of it. Thank you very much, Charlene. Have a good
0: one. You too. Good to have you back. And I don't know about you, but I still find any occasion in which television shows me a launch of a spacecraft, an unbelievably riveting experience. I stop and I watch Every time. Thursday morning was another launch from Cape Canaveral, and this time around, this, the uh, project is called Perseverance. That's the name of the spacecraft. Joining us to talk about the latest mission to Mars from the Canadian Space Agency is Planetary Senior Mission Specialist Tim Haltigan. Tim, good morning and welcome to the program.
3: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
0: It's great to have you with us. Are you uh, are you still a kid when it comes to launches? I know you're a professional in the industry and everything, but that spectacle, Tim, it's just jaw-dropping still. I can't get enough it's, of it. How about you?
3: Every single time, like you said, it is incredibly exciting to think about just what's going into it and Every launch I've watched is not just the rocket itself, but you think about the hundreds of people that have worked thousands of hours to put that spacecraft together and and just watching it go is one of the most exciting things in this field, for sure.
0: Now, this is a NASA project. It's going to Mars. Uh, It's called Perseverance. What is the Canadian contribution or inclusion in this program, Tim?
3: Sure. Um, So Canada is actually making a number of scientific contributions to the mission. Uh, The Canadian Space Agency is, uh, first of all, supporting a researcher from the University of Alberta named Chris Hurd. Now, he was invited by NASA uh, based on his experience and his expertise to play two really important roles on this mission. Um, One is that he's going to help the science team select uh, which samples are going to be collected to be investigated and potentially brought home to Earth. Um, And secondly, he's actually been named to what's called the project science group. So this is sort of the executive that makes the key decisions about mission operations and where to go and, and what to investigate. So, it's really exciting to have Canadian scientists on the mission. Um, we're expecting more Canadians to be added to the science team um, in the upcoming weeks as well. So it's, it's really exciting for us.
0: Now, unlike the Canadarm and other specific bits of technology that Canadians have contributed to previous missions, including, of course, the International Space Station, where the arm is still very much at play, is there Canadian technology aboard Perseverance, Tim?
3: Um, So, Canada did not make a technological contribution to this mission. Um, We have certainly to to numerous missions in the past. You think of the Phoenix Mars Lander and the Mars Science Laboratory or Curiosity rover Mm -hmm. uh, that's roving around Mars right now. There's Canadian hardware on that. Uh, This is a mission where we are supporting uh, just scientific contributions and scientists on the team.
0: Okay, so now there's a bit of a a glitch so far as I understand it. Uh, Once the spectacular liftoff occurred on Thursday morning, it didn't take long before the mission control people decided to put the spacecraft into something called safe mode. What's the story behind that?
3: That's right. Um, so it was actually the spacecraft itself that decided to put it into safe mode. Oh. Um, typically, what happens with spacecraft is there's pre-programmed um, sets of conditions that need to be satisfied in order to the spacecraft to stay fully operational. And once any of those parameters sort of gets out of spec uh, the spacecraft turns off uh, everything except really core functional um, uh, systems to make sure that it just stays safe until we can reestablish connection. So basically what happened is as the, after the rocket launch, uh, the spacecraft had to go into the Earth's shadow, so sort of into nighttime. Okay. And the temperatures were a little bit colder than what was expected, and so it put itself into safe mode just to make sure to protect itself uh, but once it launched out onto its trajectory to Mars, uh, temperatures became stable, uh, mission controllers reestablished contact, and everything looks to be just fine right now.
0: So how long a trip is it? And I know it sounds kind of, uh, and I'm not being flippant about this because it is not the shortest trip in the world. How long is it going to take this <laughs> th- this vehicle, and it's a pretty big world too, uh, how long is it going to take this vehicle to reach Mars
3: that's right. No, it's not a short trip at all. Um, so this spacecraft is set to, uh, to land on Mars uh, in mid-February, Okay. so it's a roughly
0: seven-month journey. Okay, and, 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 uh, and I understand it also carries a different kind of lander. There's some kind of helicopter device uh, on this one that's going to make the landing itself uh, a little safer and uh, in terms of uh, predictability and uh, uh, maintaining some kind of quality of the equipment. This, this process should make everything uh, a little more intact when it finally hits the surface of Mars.
3: Uh, sure. So that's actually two different things. The helicopter is not going to be um, included in the landing system. Okay. Um, the helicopter is actually a really, really neat technology demonstration. Um, so this is an additional technology that was added uh, to the mission, basically to demonstrate the first powered flight on another planet. Ah. Now... Um, Yeah, so Mars's atmosphere is really, really thin. It's only about 1% as thick as the Earth's atmosphere. And so flying any sort of vehicle in a very thin atmosphere is really difficult. I mean, can you imagine trying to swim in a swimming pool where only 1% of the water is holding you up? Mm -hmm. That's sort of the same challenge that this helicopter has. And so um, by showing that this is possible, what this does actually is potentially lead into the designs of future aerial vehicles that may support um, eventual human exploration. Uh, but when in terms of the landing, what you were talking about is also a very, very neat technology that's been added to the mission. Uh, essentially, there are cameras on the landing system that are going to act like eyes. Okay. And, and we've pre-programmed the maps of Mars of the landing site into the computer on board. And so what happens is that the images that the spacecraft takes as it's landing are going to be compared to the maps inside of its memory. And what it does is it really sort of figures out where it is relative to where it wants to land and so can make small adjustments with thrusters on board uh, to make a more precise landing. So this is the new technology that's allowing us to really shrink the area, um, basically to, to hit a bullseye uh, a lot better in
0: terms of landing, and that would thereby not guarantee, but it would up the uh, likelihood of the equipment, the investigative equipment on board that Mars rover, uh, to be in working condition once it uh, once it lands.
3: That's exactly right, because when you're landing a spacecraft, I mean, you're going basically from 12,000 miles an hour to zero in roughly seven minutes. Um, And so there's a lot of things that need to go right in order for it to happen, and one of those things is avoiding obstacles. And so these cameras on board are actually going to be able to divert the spacecraft if it thinks that it's going towards a particularly rocky patch, for example. So it's definitely helping the safety of the landing. Uh,
0: not a lot of time left here, Tim, but you mentioned returning uh, materials because the Canadian scientist from Alberta that's involved is going to be a part of the committee that determines, A, what material gets investigated, and B, whether or not said material gets returned to Earth. Is that part of the Perseverance mission to not only get there, but also to come back and bring stuff with it?
3: Well, this is actually the first step of what is a multi-mission effort to potentially return samples from Mars. So this has sort of been one of the biggest dreams of planetary science for the last 30 years. And it's actually going to take three missions to do. So Perseverance is the first step, which is the one that's going to go and collect the samples and leave them in a returnable place. So basically in a cache. All right. Um, A second rover would then land um, in the late 2020s, uh, drive around, pick up the samples that Perseverance have left, and put them in a small rocket that's on a lander that would then launch into Mars orbit. Um, But the thing is, that rocket is not powerful enough to get all the way to Earth, so it takes a third spacecraft Uh uh, that would come from Earth and capture this canister in orbit and then bring it back to Earth. Uh, and we're targeting right now potentially 2031 for the return.
0: Fascinating project. What what a, what a great, I mean, to, to be involved in something like this just must make a person want to get up and run. First thing every day, Tim. What, what, a, <laughs> what, what an exciting project to be involved in and, and, and talk about a timeline and a time horizon. You're you're now talking 11 years out. Thanks for doing this this morning. Can you recommend a website for people to follow,
3: Perseverance? Uh. Certainly, if you go to the Canadian Space Agency website, we've got a wonderful section on Mars and Mars exploration. Um, NASA has a website dedicated to the mission, so if you just search Mars 2020 Perseverance, it'll take you right there. And there's lots and lots to learn. It's a really exciting mission, for sure.
0: Tim Haltigan, thanks for this. Much appreciated. We'll talk again. Thanks so much. In Montreal, Tim Haltigan, a planetary senior mission scientist with the Canadian Space Center.